Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are starting a new series called Family Game Night, and I want to encourage you, invite your friends to this series throughout the month of September. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, basically what we're going to be doing is it's kind of similar to what we do with at the movies in July. We're going to take things that we know and we're going to lift gospel truths out of them. So what we're doing is we're taking uh, board games that maybe you grew up playing or maybe you played with your kids and looking at what is... Uh, what do these board games have to say about the gospel and how do these impact our lives? And, and really, we just want to make this as applicable as possible for your life, as helpful for you as we can, because the word of God isn't, uh, isn't tricky. Uh, the word of God is our manual for life. And so if we can figure out how to apply it to our everyday life, then you are going to be better off. And so that's really what this series is all about. And today we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, a game that maybe you played or you played with your kids called Sorry. Has anybody ever played Sorry before? A few people? Okay. Uh, Sorry is a game, and let's put the board up there if you don't mind, guys. Sorry is a game that you've got four pawns of a specific color, and you start in your start spot, and the goal is to make it home safely. You want to make it home before all the other people make it home. So it is basically a race, but the trick is that people can bump you off your space. So if someone lands on your space, they can bump you back to start. So no matter how much progress you've made, you can get bumped. There are uh, several numbered cards. There's over 50 cards in the deck, but there's several numbered cards, and all the cards tell you how many spaces you can move forward. Basically, except the 11 card. The 11 card says you can move forward 11 spaces, or if you'd like, you can trade spaces with somebody else on the board. And again, if you've made a lot of progress and somebody gets an 11 and they steal your progress, that could be a little frustrating for you. The worst card that someone can get and get played on you is the sorry card, because the sorry card, when it's played on you, it makes you go all the way back to start and they take your spot all the way, no matter where you're at on the board. And so if you get the sorry card and you can play it on someone, that is painful, that hurts. And so basically, um, the game is all about getting home and trying to keep the other people from getting home. Uh, And uh, we played this with our kids some, and very friendly game uh, until until I get bumped. And then it gets violent in the Massengale household. Uh, Family game night is supposed to be fun and enjoyable until, you know, until everybody gangs up on dad. That's no fun. So... uh, But before we get into everything, I want to ask, we did this with At The Movies too, and I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to put you on the spot, uh, because if you brought a guest with you that normally doesn't attend Summit, I I want to give you a copy of Sorry Today. And so if you're here today and you brought someone with you that normally doesn't attend Summit Church, I want you to raise your hand real high. Oh, Barb, you love the free stuff. Anybody else bring guests? Keep your hand up, Barb. Anybody else? Anybody else? Barb, we're making, we're making it easy. Oh, up in the balcony, I see, I see that hand. Okay, did you bring more than one person? Brought two? You just brought one? Hey, congratulations, ma'am. Uh, pick up Sorry over at the Info Center when we finish here shortly. She's so excited. You know it costs $6 on Amazon, right? But still. Okay, just saying. I'm glad that we could make your day. <laughs> thank you so much for bringing guests with you. That is what this is all about. So thank you for bringing friends and introducing them to Christ. Um, when we look at this game, it's interesting because we go, it's a silly kids game. But if we're going to be honest, 
This game is a great picture for our lives because how many times are we making good progress, we're getting along, we're heading in the direction we want to head, we're doing what we think we're supposed to do, and then out of nowhere, out of the blue, someone gets in our space and bumps us. Or someone plays a sorry card on us, right? Maybe you have been called into your boss's office and he says, sorry, we're going to have to lay you off. Maybe you walked into a doctor's office and the doctor said, hey, I think you need to sit down. I'm so sorry, but you've got cancer. Maybe you've been betrayed by someone you know and they essentially play the sorry card on you and all the progress you've made comes to a halt. Life as you know it stops and you feel like you're starting all over. That's really what we're talking about today. What does the Bible have to say about that? Because the truth is, all of us have had the sorry card played on us, haven't we? All of us have felt hurt and betrayed. All of us have to deal with forgiving others that we don't want to forgive. All of us have had to deal with offense at some point or another. Because let's be honest, when someone does something to us, especially if it feels personal, it is hard to get over that. And all of us have been there before, including our Savior, So so what does the Bible have to say about that? Let's start in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 today, and it says this. Paul tells the Colossian church, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. (laughs) That's easy to say, isn't it? It is so hard to do. Let me start with verse 12. He says, put on as God's chosen ones. So he says, since you are God's chosen ones, since you are children of God, here's what you put on. So when you came to church this morning, before you left the house, you put on clothes. And for that, I say thank you. (laughs) Our security team would have uh, had some words with you before you got in the building if you hadn't been wearing clothes. But you put on clothes, didn't you? Because you said, if I'm going to church, I better put on some clothes. So you put on a shirt, you put on some pants, a dress, whatever it might be, and you came to church. You got ready for the occasion. And what, what we see here, what Paul is telling the Colossian church is there's an occasion you need to be ready for because you are a child of God. And so as a child of God, here's what you put on. Here's how you get dressed. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And he says, bearing with one another. So we put up with one another's junk. And he says, if one has complaint against another, So if you've got a gripe against someone, you forgive each other is what he says. You forgive. But we don't just forgive. He says, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. So he says, in the same manner that you have been forgiven, you must also choose to forgive. And let's be honest, isn't it so easy to receive forgiveness from God and it's so hard to dole out that forgiveness to others? When we go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, we expect him to forgive us. But then when somebody hurts us, we go, well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. They haven't earned it yet. And what Jesus tells us and what Paul is directing us to in Colossians is, it is not a suggestion to forgive. It is a command to forgive. In fact, most psychologists would agree with this, that most psychologists would tell you if you are carrying offense or deep hurt or pain, one of the most important things you can do is muster compassion for the person who has hurt you or bumped you, because if you can do that, that will help bring healing to yourself. So if you can humanize the person that's hurt you and try to see things from their perspective, then it helps the healing process. It helps us move forward. 
Now, I want you to understand, if you're here today and you've been the victim of physical or sexual abuse, I want you to know something. Um, this is all about forgiveness, but it's not about reconciliation. Reconciliation is a goal, but forgiveness is the command in Scripture. Reconciliation isn't up to you. If you forgive and you're willing to be reconciled, you still might not be reconciled because the other person has to be willing. Does that make sense? And if you've been in an abusive situation, it might not even be the best thing for you to be reconciled in relationship. So what we have to do is understand, it's not my job to reconcile, it's my job to forgive. It's the other person, if they want to be reconciled, then that might happen. But again, uh, your command is not to, for, uh, not to reconcile, your command is to give. And we don't forgive because the other person has earned it, we forgive because we need it for our own healing. We forgive because God's commanded it, not because they need it, but because we need it. So we choose to forgive. When we get the sorry card played, when someone bumps us, when our life isn't turning out the way we expected, that's what we do, we forgive. Colossians 3.14, as we continue on, it says this, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So what it's saying is the thing that keeps all these clothes, if I can say it that way, together, is love. Love makes it all work. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Without love, nothing else functions appropriately. I've talked about this with you before, uh, but my girls know I love them. I tell them often. I try to show it to them. But one of the ways that I've shown my love for my girls, especially my daughter, Abby, uh, when she was in junior high, she was in band. And one of the ways that I displayed my love for her is that I went to her sixth grade and seventh and eighth and ninth grade band concerts. Come on now. I've heard some of you lie to your kids after those band concerts in the lobby, and you'll talk to them and go, oh, you were so good. I could hear you. You did great. And I want to go, you are lying. They don't sound great. They sound terrible. Let's be honest. You've all thought it. You just haven't felt like saying it. You're like, oh, right? It's terrible. So before they start, they're, they're warming up, you know, all the stuff in the... The band teacher comes up and everybody stops and <laughs> it's like, are they still warming up? What is going on? Why? Because they can hardly play the music. They're lucky to hit the notes that are on the sheet, right? And so if I can't even play the notes on the sheet, how are we going to play in harmony? How are we going to create a beautiful piece of music together? And it's, it's hard. And this is what you want to, I want you to understand. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you don't put love on in your life, it's going to be a mess. It doesn't matter what else you're doing right because none of it will fit. None of it is going to work in course, in harmony together if you don't put on love. It just doesn't work. It's going to sound like a mess. It's going to sound like you're warming up and that is not what God wants you to be. So he says, Tie all this stuff together with love. No matter what else you put on, put on love so that it will bind everything together in harmony. I will tell you, as a people, we are, we are a people that are very comfortable with offense. We get offended over everything, don't we? I mean, social media is toxic. We get offended about everything. Someone else says, um, back in the summer, my family and I, we flew uh, to go to Florida on vacation. And 
the girls are sitting together, Kim and the girls are sitting in that side of the plane, and I'm kind of across the aisle, up a seat, uh, and I'm sitting on the aisle, and uh, whenever we fly southwest, you know, you pick your own seat as you get on, and so I always pick an aisle seat, and I'm always hoping that I can look mean enough that nobody will sit next to me. So, like, you know, I'll, like, I'll, you know, if that's not working, I'll cough a lot, like, you know, something. That people will go, I'm not sitting by that dude. Like, I make myself as big as I can. I'm just spilling over the other seat, whatever. And I think, like, it looks like it's, like, nobody else is getting on the plane. I'm like, I hit the jackpot, like, empty seat between me and this lady on the, on the window. And this lady, straggler, she gets on the plane. She comes on. And the second she gets on the plane, um, you can see she's upset. And she's complaining, and she gets on the plane, and she slides in, and she sits down, Right next to me, of course, I knew it was going to happen. So she sits down next to me, and she's cussing, and she's upset, and she's offended. Can you believe that my planes, and I was already late getting here, and we're going to be delayed, and there were, there were storms in Florida. And so we sat down, and they told us, the flight's going to be delayed, you know, we're going to be here a little bit, we'll give you an update in half an hour. And that's no fun. So we're sitting there, and she's griping, just going on and on, and cussing, and and so she's pulling on the seat in front of her to try to look up at the, the, the flight attendants. And so she's pulling on the seat, and the lady in front of her is having her seat pulled on, so she's doing this, and um, she just won't stop. I mean, she goes on and on for like 20 minutes, and finally, uh, I, I take my earbuds, and I'm reading on my iPad, I'm reading a book, and so I take my earbuds, and I just put my earbuds in, and I turn. So like, I'm not even listening to anything. I'm just not going to listen to her anymore. So I want her to know I'm not an active participant in this rant. Whatever you are doing, I'm done. And so I put my earbuds in and I kind of turn my body and I'm reading my iPad, but it doesn't matter. They're noise canceling earbuds. And I still hear this woman griping. And so she turns and she's talking to the lady next to her. And the lady is too nice. She's nicer than I am. And she's like nodding, like, mm, 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 you know, like that kind of thing. And she just keeps on and keeps on. Don't they know we have places to go? We're going to be late. I'm going to get home at two in the morning. I can't believe this is terrible. She's just going on. Finally, <laughs> your pastor, full of Jesus and goodness and grace. <laughs> I take out my earbuds and I turn to her and I say, excuse me, ma'am. Yes. I said, Did you know this is a $93 million airplane? So? I said, so you are one of the privileged people that get to get on a $93 million airplane and fly across the country to be where you want to be and you're complaining about it. And I said, ma'am, uh, did you know that the, the people that are flying the plane, the pilots, the flight attendants, the, fl the ground crew, they all want this plane to be on time. Everybody in this plane wants to get there on time. And I said, you can't control the circumstance. You can't control the weather. And I said, by the way, I'm grateful that they've delayed us because it's for safety that they're keeping us here. And so you can't control the weather. You can't control the flight. You can't control those things. But you know what you can't control? Your attitude. And she said, well, I guess I'm not behaving myself very well, am I? I said, no, you're not. And I put my earbuds back in and turned. <laughs> she didn't speak again the rest of the flight. It was, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, right? 
But we're so accustomed to being offended. We're so accustomed to being the victim and being hurt and and demanding what we need and what's right for us. And at the end of the day, God says, put on love, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus is preaching Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and the sins of the rain, on the just and the unjust. And what he's saying is this. Hey, there's this common saying that you love those who love you and you hate those who hate you. That's what's normal in society. And he said, in the culture of heaven, there's going to be something that's different. We're going to love those who hate you and the people who actively look to harm you, you're going to pray for. That's what the culture of heaven looks like. And this is a radical shift. And this is what he says. When we do that, it says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, forgiveness is a qualification for us to be Christians, honestly, that we learn how to forgive as we've been forgiven. But what he says is so interesting because he puts it into relational context. And and, let me put it this way. Um, Unfortunately for my daughters, they resemble me in some ways. Like, Emma has my eyes. I mean, the same eye color, exactly. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I'm also grateful that she doesn't have my beard. <laughs> that would be trouble, right? <laughs> Problematic when she's trying to date. Uh, but I'm so grateful that, like, I can see my girls and there's things of myself that I can see in them. Uh, there are thumbprints of me that are on their lives that are maybe their personality or part of who they are, behave, whatever it is. And I go, that's me. I see, I see me in them. And this passage here, Jesus is saying, hey, when we love those who hate us and when we pray for those who persecute us, uh, we, are, we are giving indicators. We're giving markers. There are signs that we are children of God. That's when God looks at us and goes, hey, that's, I see myself in my child. Does that make sense to anyone? So when we live our lives that way, it is evidence of who we are. It's evidence of our, of our parenthood, that we are sons and daughters of God. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, and the message says this, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. That's a tall order, isn't it? Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Now, I'm grateful that the God we serve, when we repent, now repent sounds like a churchy word. Repent just means that we turn the opposite direction. Whatever direction we're heading in, we turn and head the opposite direction. So when I recognize there's a condition in my own heart, there's an attitude, there's a behavior, there's something in me that's not pleasing to God, and I go to God and I go, God, forgive me, I'm sorry. God doesn't say, remember he forgives quickly and thoroughly. He, he doesn't say, well, let me think about it. You just, you just wait. Let me, let, me, let me see how I feel about this. No, what does he say? He says, I forgive you, you're my child, right? Instantly, we're forgiven. And he forgives us thoroughly. He doesn't say, well, you know, I mean, this is going to be easy to forgive you for, but man, I don't know if I can forgive you for that. So I'm going to forgive you for this portion, but I'm not going to forgive you for that portion. I don't know if I can ever forgive you for this, right? Thank God that he forgives quickly and thoroughly. Is anybody with me on that? Four of you are excited about that. The rest of you are like, eh, we'll see. I'm grateful that our Heavenly Father forgives us quickly 
and thoroughly. And then he puts it back on us, though, and says, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly. So what I want to ask you is, do you forgive your spouse as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you? Do you forgive your boss? Do you forgive the person in traffic? Do you forgive the person who bumps you off of your space? The person who plays the sorry card on you as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you? And I will be really honest with you as your pastor and say, no, I typically do not. I recognize that fault in my life. I recognize that I do not. I fall short of the standard and I need my heart to be healthier to do that. So I'm willing to bet that most of you in this room don't forgive as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. And that's part of human nature, but that doesn't mean we settle there. What it means is we continually say, God, I'm not where I need to be yet. Help my heart be healthier so I can forgive as quickly and thoroughly as you do. I said this earlier, God commands us to forgive, not for the person who's hurt us, but for us. And forgiving someone doesn't mean that what's been done to us is okay. What it actually means is that we're releasing them from the debt that they have toward us. Because remember, when somebody says, sorry, because in the game, that's how the game gets its name. Whenever somebody bumps you, they go, sorry. But I don't think they're really sorry. <laughs> I don't think they mean it. But how many times did you get an apology and you thought, I don't think they meant that. That, that maybe gave you this, the apology, I'm sorry that your feelings are hurt. I'm like, I'm sorry that I throat punched you right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on now. Why are we saying that though? Because we go, they owe us something. They owe us an apology. And when we look at this, when we look at forgiveness, what we're really talking about is the language of uh, commerce. And it goes back to this idea that when we forgive, we're forgiving a debt. Now, the debt is common in the United States, and you may have some debt, but if, if you got a phone call today from your bank saying, hey, I've got good news for you, I want to let you know that we've decided to forgive your mortgage. Some of you that raised Catholic or Presbyterian, you'd become Pentecostal overnight, wouldn't you? You'd be dancing with a phone, woohoo, praise Jesus, right? You'd be so excited because your debt was paid. If you got a phone call, some of our college students, and you got a phone call saying, hey, your student loans are wiped out, gone. Hallelujah, praise Jesus, right? Thank you, Lord, you'd be so excited. Why? Because your debt has been paid. And what's required in a situation like that is someone with power and influence and resources to be able to say, we forgive the debt. I'm going to wipe away the debt. I'm going to pay the debt you owe. And what happens in a situation where we forgive someone else that's hurt us, what we're actively doing is saying, I'm paying the debt that you owe. The debt that I believe you owe me, I'm wiping it away. And what we're doing is saying, we're taking authority back and we're saying, I'm not a victim of this situation anymore. I'm not the one who's been bumped. I've got the authority to say, I forgive your debt. There's nothing more you owe. There's something powerful about being able to do that. Take back the authority in that situation. But I want you to know something. Forgiveness isn't a one-time decision. It's something that you have to do actively every single day. And let's be honest, sometimes multiple times a day. I forgive. I forgive. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive again because my heart needs me to forgive you. So I, I wipe away the debt. And if we don't choose to forgive every day, the, the, the offense will seep back into our lives. I've read this quote to you before, and I love it. It's one of my favorites. It's 
from Lewis Smedes, and he says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. See, there's another aspect to this. Because maybe you've been bumped off your path, maybe somebody landed in your space and sent you back to start, but maybe you were the one who played a sorry card on someone else. Maybe you were the one that hurt someone. Maybe you were the one that inflicted damage or pain to somebody. Let's be honest, maybe you inflicted damage and pain to yourself. So you live with regret because of what you've done, what you didn't do, what you should have done. You live with regret over the decisions you've made in your own life and where that's brought you to. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See, when we talk about regret, I want you to understand something. Regret, the way I'm talking about it today, can either lead to death or it can lead to repentance. And when we submit our regret to Christ, it will ultimately lead to repentance in our lives. But when we hold our regret and we nurture that regret, it will ultimately lead to shame and it's ultimately going to lead to death. There's two great examples of this in Scripture. One, uh, Peter, the disciple of Christ, he denied Christ three times. The last time, after the third time, he made eye contact with Jesus and he knew, man, I'm an idiot. That's not what it says in Scripture. That's just what I'm telling you. That's the Mel paraphrased version. And he realizes what he did, and he's filled with regret, and Scripture tells us that he went out and wept bitterly. Why did he do that? Because of the regret that he had in his life. He knew that he had made a mistake. He knew he had done something he shouldn't, and he felt terrible for it. And then what we see after that is um, Jesus rises from the dead a few days later, that his regret leads to repentance, and what we see is this experience in the upper room uh, where he experiences the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, And a few days later, he preaches the gospel before thousands. So the same person that denied Christ, regretted it, he submitted his heart to Christ, he repented for what he did, and a few days later, he's literally preaching and thousands and thousands of people are surrendering their lives to Jesus. The other disciple is Judas. Judas betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. He regretted what he did. But it wasn't godly sorrow. It wasn't submitted to Christ or to God. What it was was just sorrow that led to shame because this is who I am. Because regret is about what I did. Shame is about who I am. When we let regret become shame, it is debilitating. It will freeze us in the starting spot and it will ultimately lead to death. And what we see is Judas ultimately hung himself because of the regret he had in his life. See, regret says, I shouldn't have done that. Repentance says, I shouldn't have done that. Moving forward, I'll never do that again. Repentance is about changing the direction. Regret is about just a feeling. See, when regret isn't submitted to Christ, it leads to shame. And shame will break us down. When you looked at the board earlier that I had up, You get around the board, and when you're coming down the home stretch, the last five spots before you get to home, it's called the safety zone. And the beautiful thing about the safety zone is once you get to the safety zone, you cannot be bumped from the safety zone. So once you get to the safety zone, it's all about just getting home because you don't have to worry about someone playing a sorry card on you. You don't have to worry about somebody drawing an 11 and moving you. Um, Nobody can land on that spot with you. You're safe. 
There's something beautiful about this because the closer we get to home, the safer we are. And I'll tell you today, the closer we get to Christ, the safer we are. The closer you move to him, the less likely you are to be bumped off of your path, the less likely you are to bump someone else off, your path, off their path, the more likely you are to live without regret and to live without offense in your life because we're closer to Christ. Now, it doesn't mean we're never gonna be hurt because no matter how intimate in a walk you have with Christ, you're still gonna experience difficulties and pains and setback, sorrow. That is part of life. But what happens is when we are walking with Christ, that doesn't impact us the same way. There's a passage I'd like to read to you. It's in Psalm 91. The psalmist says this, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. <laughs> I don't even know if I should admit this to you, but we're just going to be honest. Because uh, I haven't been honest the rest of the time, but I'm going to be honest now. I've got a show, like a guilty pleasure show that I like, and I can't help it. So I just need to confess this to you today. I like the show The Walking Dead. I know. I'm sorry. But I imagine myself in this show, like the zombie apocalypse, and i got to be honest with you, if the zombies saw me, they would love me because I would taste delicious. I got all this fat on me, like I would be, they would be hunting me down, like, now, skip the skinny guy, let's go for him. They would find me, right? So I know I'd be dead in like 10 minutes on the show. But I've thought about, like, if I was in that situation, there's danger all around you. You're never going to find rest, a place of shelter, a place of safety. And I love this as a picture for our relationship with Christ because so many of us live our lives and everything is dangerous. Everything is hopeless. There's danger around every corner. We can't find any rest. But what the psalmist says here that I love is those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So if you're going to be in someone's shadow, you've got to be pretty close to them. And what I want you to know is this. When, when you're close to Christ, that's where you're going to find your rest. That's where you're going to find the safety that allows you to rest from the danger of this world, from being bumped, from being hurt, from being sent back to start. Because at the end of the day, that's where we find our peace. That's where we find our hope. Philippians 13.1 uh, thir uh, I'm sorry, 3.13 says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, the prize, of the upward call of Christ Jesus. See, so many people look at this and they go, Paul says forget it. Just forget it, right? Forget about the past. And some of you have been hurt deeply and you've had somebody come to you and say, oh, you know what, I understand. Just forget it though. Get over it. Just put it behind you. And you're like, how do I put it behind me? How do I forget about it? I can't. And when we look at this verse in context, uh, the, the, the Greek word is um, epilon thanomai. You like that? Epilon thanomai. And what it means is to forget, but it also means to neglect. If you've got a garden in your, at your house and you take care of the garden, it's going to flourish, right? You, you water it, you pull the weeds, you plant the seeds in the right seed, do all the things you're supposed to do, you're, it's going to flourish. But if you neglect the garden, it's going to fall apart. And what Paul is saying is, hey, when it comes to the race we're running, I keep my eyes focused on the finish line because I know what the prize is when I finish this race. So I'm going to keep my eyes focused on the finish line, and I'm going to forget what lies behind. And he's not saying I, don't, I can't remember what lies behind. What he's saying in a very real way is I'm neglecting what's behind. I'm neglecting my past hurts and pains, 
and all the offenses that I could carry with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna neglect that so it will die. Because what we nurture will flourish and what we neglect will die. And for so many of us, we nurture our offense. We nurture our pain because it becomes part of who we are. Well, people are mean to me and people don't like me and that's just the way things are. And we nurture that and then we have a strange sense of pride in that. So what do we do? We pay attention to it. We take care of it. And what Paul's saying is, no, no, no. If you want to run the race that God wants you to run, you neglect it. You forget about it. You leave it behind and say, I'm not going to pay more attention to that than I have to. Are you going to forget it? No. We don't forget the hurt. We don't forget the pain. We don't forget the regret. That's part of our lives. But what we refuse to do is let that dominate who we are and be Lord over our lives. There's a story I want to close with. Um, some of you know there was an author named Corey Ten Boom, and Corey Ten Boom, um, she and her family shielded and guarded Jews in Nazi Germany, and they were antagonistic toward the Germans and toward Nazis, and they were discovered to have been sheltering Jews, and they were all sent to a concentration camp. And ultimately, Corey was the only one in her family that survived, survived the outcome of the war. Uh, all of her friends, her family were all killed in concentration camps. And she was speaking at a church in Munich, Germany in 1947. And she was talking in that church about the love of God and the forgiveness of God and how God can forgive all of our sins. And as she's talking that day, she notices a little old man in the back of the room. He's balding, wearing a gray overcoat. And she notices him, but she continues to preach. And the longer she preaches, the more eye contact she makes. And all of a sudden, her heart stops when she realizes who this man is. She recognizes him. Even though he's not wearing the blue Nazi uniform or the, the visored cap, she recognizes him as the most violent, most, most notorious guard that was at the camp that she was at when her sister was killed, the Ravensbrook camp. And so she finishes her message that day. She prays, and when she looks up, she sees the man coming down the aisle of this church to meet her and to talk to her about the forgiveness of God. And he stretches his hand out as he comes down the aisle. And just as he gets to her, he says, thank you for the fine message. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And here she is, a victim of this man. And he didn't even know it. How could he? She was just a face among thousands of faces that he saw. Some small girl, how was he to know that he was responsible for so much pain and agony in this woman's life? And she was faced with a decision at that moment. What do I do? And he says this with his hand still outstretched. You mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It has been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things that I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips, too, that God has forgiven me. Corey Tim Boom recorded her response in her book, The Hiding Place, and she said this, I stood there, I whose sin had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. 
The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I cried, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Today, I don't know what kind of hurt you've been through. I don't know how you have been bumped off your course, but what I'm telling you today is the answer to that is press into Jesus. Come home. Today, maybe you are struggling to forgive others for the way that they have hurt you. I'm sorry for what's been done to you. I'm sorry for the way you've been hurt. I'm sorry for the way you've been taken advantage of. Maybe you're here today and you're the one who's hurt others. You've got regret in your life about what you've done toward others. Maybe you've got regret in your life about what you've done to yourself, the decisions you've made, the choices you've made that have led you to where you are today, and you live with deep regret, and I want to encourage you to do something. Let your regret be submitted to Christ so it can turn into godly sorrow. That will lead to life. So if you're tired of the regret, submit it to Christ today. Leave all the baggage, all the hurt, all the pain here in this place, and walk out free today. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we love you and we're grateful that you love us, that you forgive us quickly and thoroughly. And Lord, I pray today would be a day that we would accept your forgiveness and that we would forgive others. Lord, I pray for those that are here that have been hurt deeply. God, I pray you bring healing to their lives. God, I pray that you would help them forgive. And as they choose to forgive moment by moment, day by day, Lord, they would experience your healing power in their lives. Lord, I pray for those who are living with deep regret. Lord, I pray that they would take their regret today, that they would submit it to you. And I pray that that regret would turn into godly sorrow that would lead to life and abundance. So God, I pray you'd minister in these people, in these groups. God, I pray for those that have never really experienced forgiveness in you. Let today be the day that everything changes moving forward. I pray that destinies would be changed today, that the family trees would be changed today because we say yes to you and your forgiveness. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, what you talked about, that's me. I need to ask God to forgive me for what I've done. There's a, there's a gap between me and God because of the sin in my life and I need God to forgive me so I can come home. Today's my day. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you. So if that's you, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Is there any who'd say, pray for me, Mel, today's my day. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. I see you on my left. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thanks, sir. On my left. You guys put your hand down. Thank you. Who else would join these three and say, that's me? Yeah, thank you. Over here on my left. Thanks, on my right. I see you. Praise God, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Center section, I see you, sir. You can put your hand down. Praise the Lord. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Yeah, thank you, ma'am. Praise the Lord. All right, I'd like everybody in this place to repeat this prayer with me. Whether you raised your hand or not, pray this prayer boldly. Pray this out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, and thank you for forgiving me for all my sin. Thank you for paying the price for my sin with the life of Jesus on the cross. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Help me walk 
in your forgiveness and forgive others and help me bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause, can we? What an incredibly good God we serve. That's what I want you to know today. If you responded today to make Jesus order your life or rededicate your life to him, I want to encourage you, take the card that's in the seat back in front of you, fill it out. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. Fill the side of the card out that says salvation and drop it off at our information center. Give it to them. They're going to give you a free Bible. It's going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you're watching online and you pray that prayer with us and you'd like to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to respond back to you. We're going to help you take the next step as well. Guys, I'm so proud of you. If you made that decision today, I'm excited to see what God's going to do in your life. So thank you for letting us be part of your journey. Here's what's going to happen right now. Our prayer team is going to come up to either side of the stage as we sing our final song. And as we begin to sing, if you need prayer for any reason, I would love for you to find one of our prayer team members. But let me be a little more specific today. If you're here today and maybe you've experienced some deep hurt, some deep pain, and you need God and you need the Holy Spirit's help to help you forgive, I want to encourage you, find one of our prayer team members. Let them agree with you in prayer before you leave today because I believe healing is in this house today. Healing is here for you. So please don't leave here carrying the same baggage and burdens and hurt and offense that you carried in this place today. So let them pray with you. And then in just a moment, we're done singing. Pastor Todd Stanley, our worship pastor, is going to come and he'll close us out in prayer and, uh, and get rid of us. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship God together one more time before we go today. Guys, I tell you all the time, but I hope you know it's true. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great week.